Hey guys, this is Jenna Irby, also known as Esthetician Jenna. I am owner of Skin Fit Aesthetics. I am also the co-host of the Charm School podcast. And in my own business, I use Schedulicity. And the reason I love Schedulicity is because it is so convenient for my clients. The platform and the website is so user-friendly. People can go on there anytime, day or night, when they're off of work, they're unwinding, they're finally in their bed at 8 p.m., ready to schedule their facial service when in traditional work hours, a receptionist would not be there. And they can just pop on the website, drink their cocktail, glass of wine while they're watching their favorite TV show and conveniently book their service with me. So that's why I love Schedulicity is just the convenience that it gives myself as well as my clients. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Tony. So um, I'm really excited to talk about Scroll Back Saturday. Yeah, it's something that we've talked about it for a while about revisiting some of our favorite podcasts and guests. Yeah, and um, it's it's just a great opportunity to uh, again to revisit those guests as well as on some of our favorite topics that we've done. Yeah, so a lot of times people just get caught up with the current episodes. This way, they get a chance to listen to uh, some of our favorites, <laughs> some 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 pre me and you, right? Yes, <laughs> they'll, they'll see how horrible we are and how exactly. <laughs> Don't judge us on Saturdays. How we're not as bad, but still bad. <laughs> so, so silly. All right, man. So so listen, it's Scroll Back Saturday, and uh, I, we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, CEO and founder of Schedulicity, and we're proud to bring you this amazing podcast. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I'm sitting with my best bud, Tone. What's up, Tony? What's up, buddy? Hey, man, we're sitting in uh, the Temple Paul Mitchell School in Frederick, Maryland. Yeah, right. It's a beautiful school. Gorgeous. I mean, aside from the school, the building is ridiculous. You yeah. Know, it's, it's an old Masonic temple, I think is what they said, and, and just the history that this building has and just how amazing... The, the the building looks, you know, it's just incredible. Yeah, man, but they've done a great job turning it turning it into a school because mm-hmm. the school itself is beautiful and the place is large. We, we went upstairs to visit one of the classrooms and I, I can't believe how huge this school is. <laughs> no, it's great. I, I, uh, I, I was getting a little anxiety because like as you're walking around the building, I don't, I'm not really sure where I am in the building. And <laughs> we, we rode in the oldest ele- uh, working elevator in, uh, in the state of Maryland, Maryland, right? right? Yep. What? That it's got to be one of the oldest in the country then, if that's the case, right? I don't know, but that was cool. That was pretty cool. That yeah, was very cool. That was awesome. Um, I, I tell you what I was really impressed with, and that's when we first walked in this morning that um, they were taking roll call, and like we were kind of thinking back, like, remember those days when we were, <laughs> we, yep. you know, when they you know, had to take roll? But um, the amazing thing to me was that they were actually celebrating their wins, right? Like they went around the room and like, hey, what are you up to? What are you doing? What are you here? Um, you know, what, what's going on today or this week? Or, I, you know, I was only halfway listening, but people were like, oh, I get to do makeup for this or I'm helping out on a photo shoot here. And it was just like this really rewarding kind of um, kind of environment. And I just thought, I thought, I honestly thought it was incredible. I mean, if... if way to if, empower the young ones, right? And way to encourage them. You talk about motivation, right? You're, you're celebrating... And they're just starting, and, and you're and you're celebrating the journey already. It's pretty amazing. I mean, if if we spent more time celebrating the wins and not, uh, you know, pointing out one's faults, yeah. then you know, we would be. I think we'd be a much better as people. You know, aside from an industry. So yeah. enough about you and I, bro. <laughs> you want to get into it? Yeah. Is that the time? Okay. So, uh, so our guests today are Charles and Sharon Riser, and they are the owners, I assume, of of the Temple, um, uh, Paul Mitchell Temple, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Charles and Sharon, welcome to your day off. Perfect. Well, thank you guys for having us. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for being at the school this morning. I love to hear the feedback and the excitement. And, and that's kind of the, the way we like to start our mornings around here. So we're excited to have you guys here today with us. When yeah. do, 
I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying that we, we, you know, we do that. You saw the, the future professionals doing it, but our team does the same thing. Before the future professionals get here, we get here a half hour early and download for the day, but we call it sharing our victories, and we go around the room, and everybody gets to start their day off by talking about something really awesome that happened to them the day before. That's incredible. That's man. brilliant. It's wait, so brilliant. But wait, to, you know, when you go to school and, and you go through hair school, way to instill such positive uh, positivity in the young people at the beginning. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's so many, th- you know, things that, you know, I'm re- I remember hair school and a lot of people were complaining, but this is, com- it was completely different. You know, mm-hmm. when, as you said, when you pointed it out, you're listening and it's like, it was just nothing but encouragement. Yeah, you know, it, it was beautiful. It's, I, so, it, it's so weird because I think like as, as, as school owners or, or, or you know, like, guidance to our youth or whatever i hate to go there but you know how many of us you know get to are are are, are pulled along right and like how many people are or how often do we um do we need to hear i believe in you you know and that's what i heard you know it didn't matter what they were doing but i believe in you and i believe that you're on the right path in there and and i think that that you know potentially can be the most empowering thing ever but before, i guess before we uh get into the temple story let's uh learn about learn a bit about <laughs> you guys where are you guys from well, this is home for us in Frederick, and uh, we have been business partners and married and just celebrated 22 years of marriage Congrats. this summer. Congrats. Thank you. There, there's a win to celebrate. That's a huge win. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we couldn't think of you know each other's different, better business partner than what it is that we have. So we get that opportunity to do this every single day, cool. to come to a you know job that we love, mm-hmm. you know, and... Uh, being around an amazing team and future professionals, so that energy, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, you know, um, one of our uh, partners in the business, when Clayball, says that we get to do things in this industry that other industries don't do and, and aren't allowed to do. And, and you know, we, we met at uh, our family's business uh, longer than 22 years ago. <laughs> um, when we started going out, it, you know, Sharon talks about being married 22 years. We've actually been together for 25 years, and we've worked together and lived together and shared our life together. So it's, you know, you don't get to see that a lot. A lot of people don't want to be around each other a lot. And we just really enjoy each other's company. But it's, you know, it's not easy. But we, you mm-hmm. were talking about some of the stuff we do in the school. And that's, for us, one of the biggest messages to our future professionals is that, you know, you can. Society seems to say that we can't have these nice, stable relationships. And yet, you know, Sharon and I can work together and hang out together and raise a family together and, and travel together and, and still do this 25 years later. And it's, it's pretty awesome. It was a really wonderful opportunity for us. That's amazing. Where did, um, where'd you guys meet? You said it's your, your family's business. What, uh, what kind of business was that? We actually met, uh, at his family's salon. So I kind of fell into the industry by accident, uh, fell in love with the business side of the industry. Uh, had worked there for a couple years. Right. Uh, it just so happened that we ended up working out at the same gym together uh and at the time i had moved to manage the salon and uh it was kind of funny his parents said um are you dating her and he's like absolutely not <laughs> you, i wouldn't date her you can't date the employees <laughs> and can't uh, date employees. And his parents were like well we really like her a lot but if you ask her out and you screw it up uh you're getting fired and we're keeping her so needless to say he did not screw it up hairdressers were, hairdressers <laughs> were uh, easy to replace uh, salon managers uh we're not was the message that so are so are, are you a hairstylist i am not uh, a hairstylist uh, i fell in love with the industry like i said kind of by accident mm-hmm. uh i can remember i went to my first show uh, at that time it was davison's um and had the opportunity to go to the first show and just fell in love with the people i fell in love with the industry um i fell in love with the energy mm-hmm. uh and you know my dream was to always get into fashion industry and i immediately was like you know i never saw myself behind the chair uh but i just fell in love with the people and i fell in love with the industry and and you know the whole sales side of it and that's really where i've stayed primarily in my career and her story is not uh rare you know what i mean there's a mm-hmm. lot of people in our industry that has a very similar story they just happened to to fall into the industry and fell in love with it yeah no doubt what um what were you doing prior to uh to finding the industry um, I had actually just got accepted to go to a fashion school, and oh, uh, I was going to get into fashion merchandising, and I had to delay that. And you know, for me, I could remember walking into—I always share with my future professionals, uh, 
going into that hair show, the thing that was ironic about it was when I had gone with the salon team and they had invited me, uh, the first show that I had walked into, I could just remember there was thousands of people in the room, right. and it was actually Robert Kermins, who is the global artistic director for John Paul Mitchell Systems yeah, yeah. now. Um, and it was so ironic because I met the original owners of the distributor, uh, the sales rep, you know, a lot of the people that we actually deal with on a daily basis now in business. Like I still, met, like still. I still today. So 25 years 25 later. Years later you still have like, that relationship as well. I have those relationships. That's amazing. And without those relationships, I mean, I, I think about now where I would be in, in business. And so it was a really cool thing to be able to go in there. And little did I know that, you know, when Clayball would walk back into our life like seven years later and have the opportunity to open up a Paul Mitchell school and, and to be able to be more involved with, with a company that truly was my first hair show experience. That's that's once again saved. Yeah. So, Charles, you, did you grow up in the in- industry? So my mom, uh, Mary Louise, she was, she's been a hairdresser since she was 14 years old in Washington, D.C. Um, she went to what we now call career in tech, but back then was called Votech. Uh, <laughs> I learned how to cut hair. And, and like a lot of women of her generation in the 1960s, when it became time to raise a family, she stepped away from her job. My dad was the primary breadwinner of the family. And, and uh, she did hair on the side. That was how our family always had fun money, I like to say. You know, my mom right. cutting hair. But I never thought I'd be a hairdresser. I, I went to college for computer science and physics and got out of college and was working in the computer industry. And when uh, we all went to college, the deal was my dad would sell his engineering business and my mom would start her salon. And so they swapped roles. And I got to college. The salon here in Frederick was doing really well. And uh, my mom needed a computer network installed. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know how to do that. I can I can help you out, Mom, which at the time was one of the first Macs, which literally meant installing it was like plugging it into the wall and turning it on. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Steve. Really, uh, it was a huge job, but I did it. And and uh, it just turned out that day the receptionist didn't show up. And she's like, hey, since you're at the desk installing that thing, do you mind just answering the phone? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I can do that. And being my mom, one thing led to another. And, you know, the, the honey-do list kept getting bigger. And right. finally she's like, hey, you know, one day, would, would you like to learn how to do hair? I can apprentice you. And I'm like, hair? Like, I never really thought I would do that. Right. Turns out I was really good at it. Turns out the, the, the math logic side of what I did for a living works really well at section angle accuracy and all the things that we need as a hairdresser to duplicate stuff. So I apprenticed for three years under my mom, got my license that way, and... The rest is history. So, wow, that's an incredible story. That is right. pretty good. So I was, I always tell people, imagine I had my wife on one side of me and my mom on the other side at the beginning of my career. <laughs> that's, that's how I got. So you know, you always hear Gino tell those stories about why he went to beauty school because of all the girls. I didn't have that. Uh, right. was, the two most important women in my life worked on either side of me. Right. Well, I would argue that you did have all the girls. Uh, you just uh, to be your wife and your mom. <laughs> So you guys worked in the uh, you worked together in the salon, yeah. right? And then okay. um, and then did you guys like did you have an idea that you would open a school or like how? What? That's another funny story. Well, yeah. one of the things one of the things that we were seeing at the time in the industry, and this was probably like I guess the late nineties, early two thousands, was that we were watching people leave cosmetology schools, and they were coming to apply, and they literally couldn't even make eye contact with us. They didn't even know how to shake somebody's hand. They couldn't carry a professional dialogue. Um, Their skill set was extremely lacking. It was almost like we had to go back to apprenticing them. Uh, And Mm -hmm. it was over 50%, I would tell you, of people were just dropping out of the industry, period. And we could see that that was a definite challenge. And we knew if we wanted our business to grow, we were going to have to solve the challenge of employment. And we kind of tossed around an ideal of, you know, why don't we just open up a small school? And it was kind of funny because uh, we were like, oh, maybe, you know, we'll do it in a small room downstairs in the salon. And we thought, oh, how hard could this be? And um, long story short, as we started to look a little bit further, uh, we ended up with a 30,000 square foot building. (laughs) So so much for working this in your basement. But the cool thing was... um, Charles and uh, Charles had the opportunity to go to a show where Wynn Clayball, who actually had started a school called Van Curtis, uh, sorry, Von Curtis in 
you know, probably early 80s, I believe he opened it, um, they were trying to take Paul Mitchell's schools on a national level. So I'll let Charles share that story because he was yeah. the one that, that actually got the opportunity to be we were We were backstage at the Baltimore Hair Show and, and some weird stuff had happened for the show, which got us down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wynn was like, hey, this is really strange. You know, our industry has still got a long way to go. We're still not there yet. And... I said, yeah, that it's you know this doesn't seem to be changing. He's like, well, you know, John Paul and I, we got this idea, and and you know, we want to open up these schools. Would you guys be interested? I mean, this is literally a backstage conversation. And I'm like, sure, why not? Uh, mm-hmm. He says, well, great, fly out next week. <laughs> wow, <laughs> see, see what we're doing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, uh, fly out, come back, and, and the school at the time they had built in Costa Mesa was stunning. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. They had taken over an old movie theater, but it was huge. It's like 15,000 square feet. I'd never seen a cosmetology school of this size. Right. I told Sharon, I was like, at home, I said, yeah, we can't do this. It's too big. It's There's no way we're going to be able to afford that kind of money. I knew what the costs were. And that's the thing with Sharon and I is that um, we're literally opposites. I'm in our industry or in our company, I'm called a math logic or a thinker. So I ponder and think. And mm-hmm. Sharon is um, a driver, which means that she jumps. And so we work very well together because of that. Like, I, she pushes me and I hold her back and we, we balance. Sharon goes, well, I'm going to go out and see this place. I don't, you know. In Costa Mesa. Costa, Costa Mesa. So right. she flies out and she walks in and calls me immediately and says, yeah, we're doing this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got this. We're, we're, we're going to make this happen. And I'm like, okay. So that's what she was saying. We went from this little five student a year idea to all of a sudden we needed a, a space so so back to back up a little bit so you guys were training five students a year no no they were no, that, was just, that was just in the idea okay yeah, that was, was just our idea we knew right. the salon you know i mean it's the barrier for any salon even today i mean i could spend another three hours talking about the the growth of our industry versus the growth of higher hireable staff members but uh, we knew that the barrier to growth of the business was going to be quality team members. And so we said, well, just solve that by doing it ourselves. Uh, and then we walked in and toured this place. It was up for sale. We knew the guy that was selling it and said, hey, we've never been inside. It's a Masonic temple, like you said. Right. Women were never allowed in it. So Sharon was like one of the first women to ever come into the building. Whoa, 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 whoa. The I mean, let's did. just like, let, let's absorb that a little bit. Yeah. That's amazing. Because, in, because hold on, the building was built in 1890. So, right. so, so like what year did you come back? Did you check this place out? 15 years ago, 16 years ago. So, so we're talking 2002, 2000, yeah, about 2002. Yeah, 2005 when we officially opened, but 2002 when we started the process. So yeah, from 1815 so years before a woman was allowed to walk into the main hall. Where you guys were just at? Women were allowed on the first floor. They were not allowed on the second floor and higher. So they would hold the American and the Americans of the daughter. The daughters of the The American American Revolution Revolution were held on the first floor. But all of the other programs that were just full males could only go on the second level and higher. So still to this day, it's really kind of cool to have a piece of history in your own community, how many people are just like, oh my gosh, you know, my dad used to come here. Or, wow. I was never allowed up there. Can I just see what what the rest of the building looks like? So it was really kind of cool when we found that. That's this. amazing. That's, and then you can walk is, through, it's like, hmm, I'm one of the first women to walk through here. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So, so well, I mean, let's back up a little bit. That's fine. What the hell happened to the, the, the like, why was it available? I guess is the question. The Masons, the, the short version of that is the Masons got old. Um, <laughs> and, and really, if you notice, that, I mean, there's each of these floors is really two floors. So there's split stairwells going up. So every time they had to get up and down something, they had to go walk. And there's no downtown parking. And so they actually built their own temple out further outside of town. It's mm-hmm. in one area. And the building was up for vacant. And no one, it's, it's a unique space. You can't put offices in it. You can't. You put retail space into it. It's very strange, and and so we got in line to bid on it, and that that in itself was a strange story. We we had a bank fully lined up, not a local bank, that uh, said yes, and we hired everybody. We were in the process of breaking ground. This thing was moving, man. It right. was a multi million dollar job, and. And we, we were a month away from it on vacation in Scottsdale, Arizona. Actually, we were at a Harms conference, Harms Software conference, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at their user group conference. And we get this phone call saying that somebody higher up than them pulled the funding. 
Now we had just hired everybody. Like we had broken, we were ready to break ground, like everything. And they're like, we're, we're walking, we're not doing this. And we came wow. back in a panic and a local, a local bank, Frederick County Bank mm-hmm. here in Frederick, uh, a wonderful woman by the name of Denise, sat me down and she's like, well, why didn't you come back to me? And I said, well, you said no. And she goes, no, I didn't say no. I said, not the way you asked. You were asking for too much money. You should have come back. We would have talked about the process. And so she put a whole package together, got for their loan committee, which was just six individuals, and said, when she sat down, she said, well, how many people at this table, because it was all guys, mm-hmm. uh, no Paul Mitchell, and nobody said anything. So she said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna, we're going to table this. You guys are going to, we're going to do this again next week, but we're going to table it right now. You guys are going to go back to your offices, go back to your houses, and you're going to ask every woman you know if they know Paul Mitchell, because we're not going to have a conversation about the value unless you guys understand the value proposition and why the bank should invest in this. So she got got a yes out of the loan committee, and, and we laugh, though I don't know how, to this day I couldn't tell you. We were young kids with a barely you know two cents to rub between us, and... Denise went to bat for us, and, and we talk about relationships. Frederick County Bank has been our partner for 15 years because of that. They said yes. They said yes when other people were literally sitting in a loan meeting. I mean, we had another bank, another local bank, sit us down, bring us in. We thought they were going to say yes, and they, they sat us down, and they said, look, we just brought you in to tell you that basically you guys are out of your minds. You have no business doing this. You need to go back to just being mm. hairdressers what dicks you're yeah. out there and and to this day we we i have that letter i have the the thing and every once in a while someone from their bank will call us now that we are successful and want to know whether they Everybody can and i'm like yeah that. no you had your opportunity <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well i mean that's you're you were in the right place at the right time right i mean if you haven't had to be in baltimore that day you, you would have never went th- we were at baltimore that day because there had been a mistake at the hair show and the relationship we had with Paul Mitchell led them to call us and ask them. So it wasn't that we're in the right place at the right time. That implies luck. More importantly, it's what we've been talking about today. And I know you've interviewed Gino and he talks about the same thing. Right. It's about relationships. We've been building solid relationships with people and our circle has gotten bigger. And we just never, we never invalidate those relationships. We don't, you know, we, we always tell our future professionals, you never know who you're going to meet. So if you got to leave, Leave on good terms. Don't burn the bridge. You never right. know when you're going to need that again. I mean, that's, 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 again, I think, you know, Tony and I were 25 years in, like, you know, that's, that, that's certainly a, a good lesson because those bridges that you do burn will always come back. Yeah, to, they never to, go away. To haunt you. No, exactly. It's very, it, it's very true. And of course, it was really kind of ironic. We happened to be Frederick County's Bank's first small business loan they had ever done uh, deal, uh, dealing with SBA projects. So we just, this past year, um, they came back to us and used us as the role models to push more of their loan programs. So they have us on buses and videos <laughs> and posters. We get, and we get uh, these photos really from friends cool. that are like, hey, I was just behind this bus and look who's staring at <laughs> <laughs> So now we do modeling gigs for the bank too, so which, right. is, which is pretty cool. But they're still our, they're still our business partners, yeah. so which is great. But we the thing that was ironic about the hair show was that even in the salon, we were all about education. And whether it was in salon education, it was going to hair shows, uh, you know, unfortunately podcasts didn't exist then, <laughs> um, whether it was, you know, CDs or, or whatever it was, we were very fortunate because education was always in the forefront of, of the company for us and to make sure that our team stayed inspired and motivated, not just technically, but on all different levels as well. That's amazing. That's so cool. So I guess so many questions in my head. I got to slow them down. Woo! Back up. So uh, so the Paul Mitchell is a franchise, I assume, right? So like, uh, or is there, they how are, does that partnership work? They are now. Um, the interesting story about that is that when we signed up, we weren't because we didn't know any better. I mean, it literally was John Paul and Wynn asking a bunch of people they knew whether or not they wanted to open schools with them. And we're like, yeah, sure, we'll do this. And, and you know, <laughs> it was that simple. I mean, not, not that simple, but that was the, sure. that was the business relationship. And it wasn't until years later as we started to really grow this thing that everyone went back and said, yeah, you're operating as a franchise. And so we, we are a franchise model now. Uh, and it's, it, you know, some of our, you know, you can you look around the building, you can definitely see the branding mm-hmm. here. But they're a really great franchisor. They allow a lot of autonomy to the independent franchises to build the relationships and to, 
things. You know, a lot of franchises say that, well, you got to have the same widget. You know, McDonald's has to have the sandwich. Right. Be the same. But we deal with people, you know, and the people that are in Frederick are very different than the people that are in Costa Mesa and, and the way they need things. So there's our industry can't be that cookie cutter. And I think that's one of the most brilliant things that Paul Mitchell has done is they've allowed the schools to have a common brand but still have some amount of autonomy for their communities where they serve. That's brilliant. It's actually genius, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, really, I mean, we all are different in the sense, especially, you know, the community. You're, you're like Costa Mesa, uh, you know, even downtown uh, D.C. versus downtown Frederick. I mean, it's right. definitely a different vibe, right? So to have the, like you said, the autonomy to be able to, to have your own feel and, and you know, being able to um, relate to your community and, and change things to, to benefit them because mm-hmm. you're not really changing things to, to be different. You're changing to meet their needs. And, 100%. Uh, yeah. So what uh, what what's open date? Oh, well, open date for us was uh, 2005. And actually, it was kind of funny. Our first day, we were to open in March, I believe March 1st, 2005. Um, we had a snow day, so we actually <laughs> <laughs> legit. Literally, literally, legit. <laughs> first class had a snow day. And uh, so we we didn't get to open on the first day. We opened the second day, and we quickly <laughs> discovered and realized that oh wait a minute, we need an inclement weather policy being a school. So it was uh, it was kind of funny. Dude, so I'm glad we're going here. So I, I I can't imagine like like Charles mentioned like you guys didn't have two nickels, and now and now all you are you're just sitting in debt at this point, right? You haven't oh. even opened your sitting in debt and like how is like I just can't imagine like and a 30,000 square foot building which I'm sure cost you more than you know $12 you know so I I just can't imagine that pressure of like getting the kids in and 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 like I I guess I guess we can start off with like how big was your first class and how'd you find them and 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 well the thing that was actually kind of ironic about it was that uh, at the time we still kept our jobs at the salon Charles was still cutting hair full-time um, he was running operations and financial aid for the school. I mean, I, I look back now. We had just had our first child. Our, our uh, oldest was four months old. Um, so we were new parents at the same time. And I was still managing the salon. So I'm pretty sure between the two of us, we were working like 80, 100-hour weeks. I mean, I don't think we slept for the, you know, definitely the first couple of <laughs> the, the first couple of years. Uh, we were fortunate we didn't have a night school program at the time. We just had a day school program. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we at least worked at the salon at nights. But it was it was very tough. We were fortunate between his mother and my mother. They, they helped us out with our son. Um, but I did admissions, and I kind of got the job by accident. Um, originally, about three months prior, we had somebody hired. My goal was to stay at the salon. Uh, I was not going to come to the school um, because I needed to make sure that the salon was still running. I didn't think I could handle both. And uh, long story short, the person we had hired for admissions was like, I want an office. I want this. I want that. And I mean, we didn't take a paycheck for the first three years of our business. You know, we, we survived on what it was we were doing at the salon. And we ended up um, just looking at ourselves like, why are we paying this person that hasn't even proved themselves this amount of money? And we reconsidered, and I was like, well, okay, I guess I'll I'll do the job. And I ended up falling in love with it. I mean, I fell in love with the fact, because again, it was That's admissions, right? It was admissions, yeah. And uh, fell in love with it. So I was doing admissions. Charles was doing financial aid. And... um, we ended up putting in our first class seven. Now, we did not have any type of accreditation. Again, we were so new to all of this. Mm-hmm. We, didn't ha- we didn't even know how financial aid worked, how federal aid worked at that time. So, you know, at the time, we just had Sally Mae um, that was in the loan business at that time for schools. And then we had, you had to pay cash out of pocket. And we weren't cheap. I think at that time, we, I mean, we were probably $15,000. Oh so... You know, for somebody to be able to have that. And the one thing that's unique about the school world versus the salon world is that in the state of Maryland, you cannot advertise, recruit, talk about, promote anything that you are opening up a school until your school is built and you have occupancy. So we had this, you know, two, two and a half year project we had been working on. In no way, shape, or form could we talk about it, could we promote it. So, I mean, literally, we had a I think by the time we had the approval, we were given almost 14 days to be able to do this. And 
come to find out, um, we were comparing ourselves to other schools, which we did not realize that were accredited at the time. So, you know, majority of our schools and majority of schools, period, when you look at it, their finances, you know, over 85% of them are using federal aid or, you know, a loan program through the government, which we were not able to offer at that time. You have to be open for two years to be able to do that. And we look back and we, I think we had the highest enrollment out of a non-accredited school, but I think that pressure well, was no one ever part told of us it. We couldn't do it. Yeah. Like, everyone kept saying, everyone kept holding these models up and saying that you should be at 100 students at the end of your first year, 200 students at the end of your second year. And we didn't realize that, that they had funding sources to do this. So we didn't know any better. And we, you asked, we spent the first six months, because uh, I was the numbers guy, and I was like, Honey, if we don't put, and she was recruiting, so I'm like, <laughs> if you don't put 25 people in this next class, we go out of business. And she put 10 in. And then we'd have to have that dialogue. I'm like, okay, see, that wasn't 25. <laughs> <laughs> we need 35. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, so, so the next class, you need to do 35. And she'd like, look, what do you mean? I'm like, and we do 12. Like, it, it's, but I mean, I don't want to, here's, these are, this, I, I'll aside when you, when you said that earlier because the, the stories I still look back on this stuff I don't know how we did it. I honestly don't except that you don't look up you don't stop and stare around you just know that you have a goal you know you're doing Vivian McKender has a wonderful phrase that she says always do the right thing even when the right thing isn't working you just keep plugging away and, and we had many dialogues between March and August of I don't know how we're going to do this and we could see the fall class. We knew that that was going to be a big class. So we knew that that was going to be where we could kind of stop being, you know, the, the stuff going out faster than coming in. But we had to get there. We had to get to September. And uh, we actually ran out of money. We, we, we did. We finally got to the point where um, it, it, August came and, and I didn't know how we were going to make payroll. I didn't know what we were going to do. And we get this phone call from the state of Maryland. A program that they had that uh, had to be match fund every year so they didn't use the, the program didn't use the money they wouldn't get it in their budget the next year and right. one of the projects they had been working on fell apart and they had two hundred thousand dollars of grant money sitting and we get this phone call on August 10th going hey we really liked working with you guys to get the building open we got another 200 grand in money that we got to give somebody or else we don't get it next year Are you guys and this is grant money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you guys willing to take it? And we're like, <laughs> you got your back. You got it in my hand over top of the, the, the mic on the, on the phone. And I'm like, uh, yeah. And then come back. And yes. And, and it turned out, again, about relationships. When we worked with these guys, we were a successful company that they were able to use on their own websites and their own promotional materials that allowed them to show that tax dollars at good work and SBA has done the same thing with us where we keep a good relationship with these entities and so when the time came to use additional money they looked us up you were top of the mind right yeah like oh we work with these guys I, first so, off perfect timing I mean if you I don't know if you believe in divine intervention <laughs> but I mean that that's just amazing I mean that's I, I, I don't have words for it really so we, since then we've you know, obviously, we've we've done a lot. Um, you know, we've we, the SBA came to us six months into it because uh, they said that they pulled all of our money because they said we did something illegal, and so what you don't understand oh pulled about, like took away from. But you don't understand about SBA is the SBA agrees to underwrite the loan from the bank after a certain time frame. So you you borrow the money from the bank, and then the bank sells the loan to the SBA. Mm -hmm. And the SBA came and said that we had done something wrong, and basically we're we're six months into this, before August, and I get a phone call saying that all two million dollars is gone. We're taking it. You got to pay it back. You did something wrong, and uh, that was a mental breakdown. That was a <laughs> I called Sharon up, and I'm like, I don't know what we're gonna do. We've already spent it, you know. Da, 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 da. Fifteen seconds later, the phone rings, and it's the lady from the SBA going, "Yeah, sorry, called the wrong guy. I'm sorry." What? <laughs> legit. Wasn't like it he, legit. It wasn't you guys? Charles kept so asking. Sorry. He's like, "I don't understand. Like, I, I did the paperwork. Like, I signed things. I returned. Like, he yeah, like, he just didn't. Way. He just kept asking. He's like, "There's just no way." And he called me. And uh, the thing that's ironic about it is, I think also for us. 
we accepted, we were, um, we won an award a couple years ago for uh, entrepreneurship in Frederick County, mm -hmm. and we got recognized. And it was interesting because in the interview, they asked us, they said, did you know that you were going to be successful? And we were like, you know, I mean, obviously that's your goal, whether you know that or not. But we said we were smart in the fact that, you know, our advice to people is don't just have a backup plan A. Like we had A through Z. So we were really realistic at the time. And we had sat down with this mom. We're like, look, we mortgaged our house. We took our savings, like everything. So if we default on our loans and this doesn't work out and we have to close our business, that can we move back in with you? Like, I mean, we have a child that we still have to raise. It's right. more than just the two of us. We'll get back. We'll, we'll pay back our loans. We'll, you know, Charles would go back behind the chair. Like we would figure it out. So we spoke realistically understanding that there would be a very real possibility that we would lose everything that we had. So if we got to that point, it wasn't like we never had that discussion between the two of us and had already put provisions in place that how we would take care of ourselves and our child to make sure that a roof was over our head so that we wouldn't just spring it on. Hey, by the way, we need to move in with you <laughs> and figure that out. Like, And I think a lot of times in business, people don't want to have this realistic conversations because it's scary it's scary sure. to go there because like you said did, did you know you think okay yeah, i'm, I'm going to be a success well that's your goal but things happen and and you know thank goodness he happened to be the the wrong phone call you know wasn't the right <laughs> wasn't the right call but somebody ended up like that phone call you know yeah, what i mean that's, <laughs> somebody got it. Somebody that's, got that's, it. that's the secondary part of the story <laughs> that everyone always forgets is that there's after i'm glad it wasn't me but we just kept saying well who did <laughs> somebody just had their life pulled out from underneath right. them for doing something wrong but you know did we ever doubt that this was going to be Successful? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think that was ever really a doubt. I can't think of it now. I mean, we always visualized where we were going to be, but that's also trite. I've never really believed in the whole if you if you wish for it, you know, powerful enough, you know, it'll just come to you. I mean, there's right. there's a lot of time and energy and not just sweat equity but emotional equity that goes into this. You know, people look at our relationship and they're like oh you guys you guys just really love each other i'm like what you think this is you think being business partners and life partners and seeing each other 24 7 is easy no way you, you think that's that's normal i mean we work really really hard for you know personal life we we, we tell our kids that every wednesday night is date night we my mom I've been, we've been blessed she Watch, has watched our children from the day we were they were born every wednesday night that's her personal time with her grandkids it's sacrosanct in our relationship. We, Wednesday night at five, but this team knows you don't call. I mean, you can. I'm just not going to answer the phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, or, or check my emails. And so every Wednesday for as long as we've been together is our time. So let's, um, I mean, you talked about how being honest was, was, um, was so important to, you know, opening this. So, like, did you guys have any agreements? I mean, you're going to have disagreements. You're going to have disagreements as a couple. You're going to have disagreements as business partners. I mean, but you also have a lot of impressionable people outside of this glass door. Like, did you guys have agreements about how you would handle that and, like, how there wouldn't be, like, floor fights or how there wouldn't be, like... Is that a fair question? No, it's, no, a, it's an absolute fair yeah. question. Um, I think a lot of people in, in the industry period, uh, you know, beauty industry, you see a lot of people that are, are married or they're together or they meet people and, you know, they have relationships. Um, I think first, first and foremost for Charles and I, I think the message we always give to them is that um, you need to be able to take care of yourself. Um, and I think especially with having a school full of, of women, every day I'm aware of being a role model for them that... I always say, I don't need Charles. I want to be with Charles. Right. And that that's a healthy relationship. So whatever you so choose, that's important. Um, I also think for Charles and I, we are very fortunate. We've got an amazing leadership team. You know, we, a couple of years ago, we brought a, a CFO into our company. Um, Charles and I are very uh, extremely generous giving people. Um, but also you have to be able to balance that in business. So we're fortunate we have in both of our businesses, our, our second location that opened up three years ago, um, we have uh, our director down there, Jen. We have our director here, Trish. So we've been blessed to have a really solid, good leadership team. So it helps on that decision-making, 
for us. Um, but I think also for Charles and I, it's it's also okay for us to disagree. And we work with a business coach. You know, we worked with a business coach early on. Um, and we had stepped away from, from working with her for a couple years. And we kind of recognized that our business, as we were going to open up our second school, we needed to have somebody that could almost be that sounding board, but also help bring our, our thoughts together mm-hmm. um, and make sure that we kept ourselves moving forward in our company. So we work with a business coach that she works with both Charles and I individually, and then we work together as well. So I think a combination of all of that, having a really good, strong support circle is good. And I mean, obviously there'll always be times, you know, we always say if, if you agreed on everything, one of you is not needed. Boom. So, so who helped mentor you guys? I mean, I mean, as a as a young couple, I mean, you, you know, you're, you're so focused on opening up this school. Who who suggested? Or you know, you need business coaches. You need you know life coaches. You need. I mean, was there anybody that inspired or helped? That's a that's a difficult question to answer. Um, you know, I always tell people my mom has always been a very strong inspiration for me. She's taught me how to be a man. She's taught me how to be a business person. My dad was an amazing man. He's not with us anymore. Uh, but he was flawed in many ways, like all of us are. Uh, but my mom didn't put up with too many things as a woman. You know, so I knew growing up I could see that. But from a business standpoint, they were they worked together. You know, they, they had their own businesses, and, and I got to see how they interacted with themselves. But really, the network. The Paul Mitchell School Network, Wynn Clayball has put people in front of us from day one that are off the hook. And they're not of our industry. So we met our business coach because she came in in the early days and did a presentation to us as school owners on, this is what you can expect. This is where your business is going to be, then you're going to be here, and then you're going to be up here. And we're like, oh my goodness, this woman really resonates with us, we need to bring her in, right? Uh, A lot of people that we've kind of mentored with have come through the professional beauty industry that are not necessarily of our industry but we've gotten in front of through the other relationships that we have um, but honestly I when you when you look at our strength finders what they we are mirror images of each other like Sharon's strengths are my weaknesses and my strengths are her weaknesses and so while we've had people that we've always been able to call and ask questions for, we find that the best thing for us is just to sit down and think it through, work it out. And like Sharon said, we don't always agree on the path to get there, but we always agree on where we want the end result to be. That's never changed. And if we don't agree that that's where the end result is, then we don't go down that path initially. But we may have different ways of getting there. But... uh, and then it also helps too that I think that we, we, we live in different worlds, not different worlds. As they spend twenty four hours together. <laughs> no, it's different roles. We have different roles in the company. Roles in the company. So <laughs> traditionally Sharon would be called front of the house and I'd be called back of the house. I'm compliance regulation. I put a coat tie on pretend to be a lawyer on Capitol Hill. I go down and meet with our representatives and our senators about legislation that meets. I sit on the Maryland Board of Cosmetology to help craft and define how the Maryland cosmetology industry works. These are things that I love and I'm passionate about. Um, so we, we tend to hand, live different roles in our, in our company, which means that we automatically come at things from different sides, and so there's not a lot of toe-stepping. We don't tend to, to live in the same sections of the company, um, but we do know exactly where we want the company to be, and we're also willing to change. That's so cool. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I know. Like, it, it, that's just amazing. I mean, you guys are, are certainly a role model to, uh, to, I think Tony and I are going to talk afterwards, man, because, um, you know, we're, we're, we too, you know, we're not, you know, married, married, but, you know. <laughs> but you spend <laughs> a lot of time <laughs> together, right? <laughs> 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 a lot of time together. We have work spouses. We get that. <laughs> 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 totally. And we're, um, and same, we're like, we're, we're, we're polar opposites with, uh, mm-hmm. with stuff. But, you know, we've also been friends since 1984 or something. So, right. you know, we, uh. We, we we strengthen each other as as, as I like to say as, as opposed to weaken each other. Okay, so like I think it's I think it's enough about uh, like Sharon and Charles. Like if you want to like, what advice can you give? Like if you want to open a school or like what what like how does regulation work or, or like what are the things that that you need to think about or be concerned with or whatever? Like what are the 
they're going to be like, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess one of the hurdles that, 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 that are perspective persons that would open a school. So I think, I think right now, you know, speaking to your listeners that are in the beauty industry, we don't need more schools. Right now, what we need is, is more salons out there. I mean, right now, our future professionals, the challenge in the school world, you know, and again, I'm not one to say, you know, just because we're in the school world, don't open it. The school world has drastically changed. Um, there have been, have we seen in the industry, lots of schools closing, lots of chains. Uh, you know, we just recently it was Regency closed. I mean, there's schools closing all over the country. And, you know, I hate to say it, they're, they're not closing with notice. They are closing to the point where those students are showing up thinking they're going to school the next day. And they're showing up and they're finding a lock on the door. That literally happened to our school. I saw a Facebook post about it that's like, don't come to school. It doesn't uh, exist anymore. Uh, perfect. So that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what we mean. And a, for a school to get to that point, and why many schools have gotten to that point, is because they're, the, first of all, it's... Because they needed 25 students and you're only putting 12 <laughs> in the seats. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them, yes. That could be why. Um, but it is also the quality of education that's really being looked at. You know, I mean, we are by no means uh, an inexpensive institution. A lot of these, these schools, you know, today's student is really looking at the return on investment in the education. If you are training somebody to be in the beauty industry, then you need to place them in the beauty industry. You know, that is the one thing that for us, we were very fortunate. Um, placement has never been a challenge uh, to the point where we have had, we don't have enough future professionals coming out of our doors for placement right now. But because Charles and I, from day one, knew the importance of if you're going to invest in our institution, it is our due diligence to place you in that career. Mm -hmm. And we have had a, a lot of success with that. Um, but the government has really stepped in to the, to the school world quite a bit. It's, it's a lot more paperwork than it used to be. Uh, it, it's a, a, a lot more reporting. Not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think Charles and I have always ran and done all of that stuff. And if that's what's being asked, uh, we have no challenges with that whatsoever. Um, you know, the gainful employment and all of that stuff, that really kind of lives in Charles' world more than it lives in mine. Mine is more placement, and quite honestly, you know, there's, there's just, I, I need more future professionals to place in the industry. The demand is that great. And what a challenge to have in our industry, right? Right, really. So when did you open up the second school? Three years ago. Almost 10 years to the date that we opened up this one. So, wow. Uh, and it's down in uh, Annapolis, which at the time... Uh, you know, again, I can give you all the data on At the time, there weren't any career schools on the western shore, south of Baltimore. Uh, Grand Webb was our closest uh, competitor, and they were in Virginia, so kind of a different cosmetology thing. Um, but when we did a, when we looked in the area, like a 30-mile trade circle around Annapolis, there's 790 salons. Think about that. 30-mile radius around Annapolis, there's 790 salons. Like, and there's no school to teach. <laughs> anyone wow. how to be a hairdresser so we you know the regulatory side of this you ask it's not that i would ever say don't open up a beauty school i think the number one thing i would say is just please remember that you're not opening up a hair salon it's it's a different beast people look at this and the the, the clinic you guys walked into right. in the clinic classroom and they say oh you got a you got a 60 chair hair salon like no that's a 60 chair classroom like it takes three hours for a new student to do a haircut so you as a guest coming in, you're not really a guest, you're a model that signed, you signed this nice little waiver that <laughs> says, I understand, I may have my hair messed up because <laughs> right, I'm right. being a model, right? Uh, so when you get into the beauty school industry, you're, if you're a hairdresser or you're a salon owner, you got to remember you're not a salon owner anymore. You're an educator. You're in the school business. And there's all kinds of, I mean, I could we could spend another podcast talking about the weirdness uh, <laughs> You know, you, you, are you willing to deal with parents that come in? And, and we talk about helicopter parents. We don't have those anymore. They're called lawnmower parents. <laughs> right. Or luge parents. That's actually the name for them because they don't want their children to have any stress. Like, they want to mow all resistance down in front of the child before that. We've had parents say, you need to think of us as our daughter's agent. 
you can just communicate with us. I'm like, your daughter's 21 years old <laughs> and going to college. Wow. Like, you need to, but that's, you have to be willing to accept that. That's part of the reality of what we do. Um, you know, if you have a salon and somebody doesn't show up for 10% of the time, they probably don't have a job, right? Like, right. you're not going to keep someone on staff that misses right. every other Saturday. That would be bad. Yet here, it's unreasonable to expect a student to come to school for 35 hours a week, maintain a job, and raise a family, and not miss time. That's an unreasonable expectation. Um, we always put a number out at graduation that if you go to college, you would be expected to take, at best, 15 credits a semester, right? That, that's, right, a, right, that's, right. A, that's a heavy That's a heavy load, load right. right? That equates to 15 hours of classroom time every week. Right. My students... They're taking 35 hours of classroom time every week, and that's normal. They're doing five years of college in 12 months, and people don't, they don't think about that when they want to open up a school. Wow. Right. The, the pressure for these guys to get done and get out in the industry is really high, and they want it. They don't want to spend five years in beauty school. <laughs> they want to get out there, but um, I, I always ask, you know, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to spend the money? Are you willing to spend the time? You're not going to be accredited for at least three years. So do you have the cash to keep your business open? Are you being realistic? Um, and are you willing to deal with government oversight? Because at the end of the day, the federal government and the state governments micromanage the education side of the, re the industry for a reason. There's a lot of bad apples out there, a lot of bad actors. Are you willing? You know, a lot of people right. that are entrepreneurs don't want any government oversight. Well, that's your if that's your type of entrepreneurialship, don't open a school. <laughs> so, Do an apprenticeship program. Five students. Exactly. <laughs> you mentioned okay, now we're now we're talking about, you know, all right, state of Maryland, uh, you have uh, I guess a prerequisite where you must teach them this particular uh, platform, right? Right. Um your school, uh, you know, it, what I was impressed with in, in the beginning of our conversation is how much you believe in education. So do you guys go up and, and above and beyond the, the minimum? Because I, I think so many schools live at the, at the basic minimum, and, uh, but you guys somehow are just, you know, thriving way above that. I mean, what is that, that's, you know, what is that like? Well, we're, we're fortunate because, um, obviously, being partnered with Paul Mitchell, we have a really good curriculum. So they do provide us that curriculum. But we also then have the opportunity to um, add things into that. So, for example, guest speakers. You know, we're very fortunate. Our future professionals get to have some pretty amazing guest artists in our school. Um, this year alone, we've had John Mosley, who's just an amazing barber, uh, Wayne Clayball, obviously co-founder of Paul Mitchell Schools, but an amazing motivational speaker, uh, you know, Gino Stampora. Um, you know, we've had a lot from, from barbering to makeup artists to, you know, I look back in our doors and I think about the people that have been here. Um, you know, we had Ted Gibson in here. We've had Vivian McKender in here. Um, you know, our list goes on and on of some, some pretty amazing wow. guest speakers that have been here on a technical and inspirational, motivational level. We also then get the opportunity to have salons come in and they share uh, all different, you know, technical skills. Um, so our guest artist days, I think, are really one of the things that kind of take us above and beyond. They also get opportunities outside of our doors. You know, we get to be partnered on things. We've done things like say yes to the prom dress, where they've gone <laughs> down and, they, you know, given their time and talent. Um, you know, fashion shows. We get to work backstage at hair shows again, coming back to that relationship with right. our distributor. Um, we get to send, you know, models. They get to work backstage, do hair, do makeup. So a lot of those opportunities um, Charles and I didn't just want to open up a school and just teach them how to do hair. We believe that it's a lot more than that. It's all about making those relationships while they're in these doors in that 1,500 hours. So I think what has set us apart from everybody is, yeah, can you just be handed a curriculum and say, okay, here it is. But we are also constantly, that's an evolving curriculum. So our future professionals fill out surveys three times while they're in our doors. You know, what they liked, what they didn't like, what um, 
you know, who are their favorite guest artists. Uh, the great thing about this generation is they are very good at giving you feedback, <laughs> uh, whether you want to hear it or not. Uh, but it's been great because it has, over the years, shaped and changed our curriculum, uh, changed our guest artists, changed our opportunities. Um, so that is a big thing. And we read and we look at, at all of those. Right. That's we, awesome. You, what you described with that question was what's called teaching to the test which is, are you a school that just gets them ready for the state boards, or are you a school that's trying to get them out there involved in the industry and successful in the industry? And I think the days of teaching to the tests are, are long gone. Uh, the federal government Thank has God. A, yeah, but mm-hmm. yes. But, you know, the government is coming back and saying, look, you guys are a career college. Your entire purpose of existence is to prepare these students to be successful in their careers. And if they're not successful in their careers, then... There's no further reason for them to be, why are you a school if you can't do that? And so, you know, we, we, we have this thing called One Foot In. It's just something we came up with where we ask all of our learning leaders to also maintain a presence behind the chair. A lot of learning leaders, a lot of educators, you hear the joke all the time that, you know, I'm a teacher because I can't, I'm not successful behind the chair, so I want this successful. <laughs> right, sure, sure. I want to be successful. Uh, I want a steady income. It's not that we insist. We've never really said you have to do it, but every one of our learning leaders also works as a stylist in the salon. So when they come in, they're bringing the world world experience with them in the classroom. So they can say, hey, we're teaching you this, but let me show you the line, the direct line between this piece of classroom education and what's going to happen when you get behind a chair. And I'll show you why you had to learn this. Um, We teach financial information. Uh, Not a lot of schools do that. It's incredible. We teach them about how, you know, this is an industry that's still heavily based in tips, and most hairdressers eat, drink, and smoke their tips away. So how are you going to be successful and save money to buy a house if you don't understand fiscal management? There's benefits to that. That's incredible. Uh, Not just that our students learn this stuff, but, like, we have one of the lowest default, believe it or not, the government tracks my graduates to see how many of them are defaulting on their student loans. And if a college has too many students default on student loans, they can lose the ability to offer federal aid. So every year we get what's called our three-year default rate. And it can't be above 25%. Ours has been at close to zero for the last two years, which means almost none of our students, our graduates, are defaulting on their student loans. So when you get that half percent, are you like, oh. <laughs> it still hurts a little. Oh, that even hurts. My, my, my well, personal goal is to keep it below five percent. But uh, yeah, it's, we started with like, dang, I want to do well, who, who was that one? You feel like calling them. It's like, tell me who that one student exactly. was. Right. That one graduate. I need to call him up and find out if I can help him out. I'm gonna give him a loan. Okay, right. Figure out how. Or maybe maybe they need a new maybe job. They need a new job. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. Hey, maybe we need to figure yeah. that out. Maybe they can be uh, educators. Actually, I do want to hit on that real quick though, because that is one of the things that people don't realize. You know, we're very hands-on owners. We we are on campus. You met us today because we're here. This is where we work. Our Annapolis campus, we're down there just as often. Um, we do know these graduates. I mean, all right. joking aside, we know where our graduates are. We stay in touch with them. We stay even 13 years later. If I do have a graduate that needs a new job or needs a new place to work, that's what we're here for. We'll, we'll make the connections for them and help them find another career path. And I think that's another key thing that separates Sharon and I from a lot of cosmetology school owners. Not only are we not just investors, we're on-site, hands-on owners. We have direct relationships with all of our students. You're building a culture. Yeah. That's what yeah. they're doing. It's a, yeah. a, a culture, a community. A, yes. uh, the, right. the word that kept coming to me was, you yeah. say culture, I say community. You know, it's like 13 years it's later, they can come back and uh, they're there still. Yes, yeah, literally. I mean, speak about DNA, we talked a little bit about that with Gino, but, you know, like their DNA is, particularly in this area, is super strong, yeah. you know? That's crazy. Um, okay, so I, I kind of want to talk, like, we're, uh, you're talking about how there's a f- the, the education's forever changing, and you brought up financials, and, and I assume that that's a Charles and Sharon thing as opposed to a Paul Mitchell thing? Um, Paul Mitchell gives you a couple vendors that you can work with, uh-huh. uh, but we had the opportunity to... We saw an opportunity to bring uh, somebody in with a, a curriculum that they were actually teaching at colleges as well, at a college level. And awesome. we kind of like that a little bit more. But then we actually go into the classroom, both of us, and we do some business education. And we talk about like some of the things we've talked about on this podcast about what it's like 
you know, if you want to get a loan, you know, the bank just doesn't hand out money for free. What does that process look like? What does it look like to create your own business? So we do also mentor them and we we kind of share a little bit of business with them as well. I teach a class and they literally call it how to be a hundred thousand dollar a year hairdresser. Like, because everyone, for some reason, that's the magic number. I want to get (laughs) And it turns out it's really easy. Do about 75 bucks an hour in services. I mean, really, if you're at a 50% commission, if you can average about $75 an hour in billable services you'll make a hundred thousand dollars a year your cut your cut right yeah. that's that's what that's what you'll take home and and you know when you say that when you break it down in a little bite-sized chunks all of a sudden people start going well hey i can i can, I can do, do that i can do that that's that's right. a couple colors and some waxing and you know they start thinking outside of the box of i just don't need to be a hairdresser i can that's why when we talk about you want to learn how to do you want to learn how to wax you want to learn how to do nails you want to learn these things because when you have downtime you want to be able to say yes you never right. want to say no. That's right. Nope. Never say no. Okay, so uh, uh, back to the future stuff. So our back to the future. I can't believe you just said. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Future professionals have no idea what no we're idea. talking like, about. No people listening to this podcast has no, no idea, idea what that was. <laughs> That's funny. So, um, so are you guys like teaching like uh, marketing through like Instagram and, and, and social media type stuff? So we have always uh, been involved in social media. And one of the things that's really great is that, uh, again, Charles and I talk about having our hands in things. Um, We have always, uh, you know, been involved with the social media, what we're investing our money in. We saw that in the forefront. Um, And we actually teach branding and marketing classes to them. Uh, We have brand leaders here in our schools. Uh, We do marketing. Um, you know, Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, in fact, Charles and I just recently in the past two years have gone on um, to do more professional speaking to the beauty industry where we actually go and we educate salons on understanding how are you going to work with this next generation coming out of school because we see some definite opportunities there. Um, one of the main opportunities is social media. Sure. You know, right now, statistics show you that, you know, the, the average student coming out of school today versus four years ago is growing 40% faster. And the reason that they're growing 40% faster is because of social media. I'm, i got to be honest. I'm shocked it's only 40%. I mean, that's a huge number. I'm sure it's There's probably nothing, bigger. You know what I mean? But like you see, I, I mean, we see it all the time. You know, we see the people that, that, that are active on Instagram or on, on, on social media that, you know, they're just, they're booked up in no time. You know, it's like, you know, where, you know, the challenge when we were young was to, to fill that book within a couple of years. And now it literally can happen in months. Well, one of the things literally. that's unique that we actually Damn do them. in the school is that the past couple of years, like we have to have, you know, the, the ring lights and diva lights. In fact, one of the things we do in our school um, to encourage our, our future professionals to post their work and understand that importance mm-hmm. is not only just the classes, but we actually do social media rock stars repost of the week. So we actually, every week, we have our students, they post to our, our social channels, and then we have a committee that looks and we vote who our top social media rock stars are, and then we choose one person. And then what's really cool about it is not only do they get you know some kind of like a cool tool or prize, but they all get certificates and awards to recognize that. But I would tell you on a weekly basis in both of our schools, um, our students' work is picked up on a national level. So we repost to whether it's our distributor, Cosmoprof, Paul Mitchell on a national, on mm-hmm. a, actually a global level reposts, um, Modern Salon, American Salon. We just actually, one of our um, soon-to-be graduates just won out of 4,000 entries uh, behind the chair's one-shot contest. Again, wow. it was uh, a color Impressive. that she did. She took the picture of the guest here on the clinic, posted it up, tagged it. Uh, in fact, two of the students made it to the final 25 were from our school and the, the one that won out of 4,000. I wish they could see Sharon's face because she's yeah. gleaming. We are. We're cool. so proud. Yeah, yeah we, we just we're really proud of them. But because they learned that here in our doors, that understanding that you cannot wait. I mean, even if the first haircut you do on a mannequin, we teach them like put that up online. Be proud to share that you are a, a cosmetologist and you are in this industry because, you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, it's so hard for me to go get a guest in a salon. And it's like, well, I don't know. How many followers do you have? Like, you know, are you utilizing your social media to build your brand and your image to help your career? And they get that message from day one in these doors. The other part of that is when we talk to salon owners, 
it's the concept of being a brand ambassador. This generation doesn't want to be your employee because they've spent their life building their personal brand. They have an online presence. And yet salon owners seem so threatened by that. They're like, well, they need to work for me and be mine. And I'm like, no, they don't want to do that. And it's not that they don't want to be in your environment, but they want to find a brand or a culture that fits them as a person. And then they want to come join that culture. And then they want to be your brand ambassador. They want to hold up. We have kids that graduate. They go outside with signs. And they're so proud that they've either enrolled or achieved something. And they're telling everybody that the temple rocks. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't got to pay for advertising this week. I got 500 brand ambassadors that are absolutely passionate about the culture of what we do here. They're passionate because you guys are passionate about education. I mean, obviously, it started when, you know, you wanted just five students in a, in a in a corner, you know what I mean? And you guys, you know, ended up with such a, a beautiful, beautiful school. And, you know, your heart for, for education and giving back, um, you know, you can just look around and you can feel it. You know what? I, I didn't um, I didn't mean for this to come full circle. But, you know, the first thing that um, that we talked about was that, um, you know, they celebrate the wins, you know. And, 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 and within this hour, you know, we went from, like, the students on the floor celebrating the wins or these guys celebrating the wins with them to Charles saying that they're out on the street. What are they doing? They're celebrating their wins. Right. You know, right. and what, it, I mean, it, even if that's just the core of what they're doing here, I'd celebrate that one. That, that's amazing. Um, yeah. As we wrap up here, guys, I mean, I, I, I'm super impressed with, 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 with this, and um, I, I, I'm glad that we're kind of, because we grew up here too, you know, so we're kind of <laughs> part of the same community. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just really, really um, happy that, uh, that, that you're part of our, uh, our, our industry community as well as, like, you know, practically neighbors. So, um, Charles and Sharon, thank you guys very, very much for uh, joining us on your day off. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. <laughs>